You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted and And it's over. Ready, set, hunt. Thanks for pressing play on this episode of the Two and Out CFL Podcast. It's probably been about seven years since I've been able to clearly speak after a Grey Cup game. <laughs> so I'm quite proud of myself. After 14 years of going to the Grey Cup, I have finally learned how to pace myself and feel fresh as a date. Well, I'm never fresh as a daisy these days. <laughs> I was fresh as a sunflower in mid-October, uh, Sheldon Jones. How are you feeling after the 110th Grey Cup? Well, I'm pretty sad I'm not there, but <laughs> it was heck of a game. Like I don't think, I don't think we could ask for a better game. Uh, probably top five game I think I can remember. I would say like it was just. You know, it was it went really by really quick too. I don't know if you felt that in the stands, but at least at home here, it felt like it was over in the snap. Like I was talking the group chat, and Tyrell said that there was only nine incompletions in the game at that point. So it kind of made sense why the clock just kept running, and there were no real injuries. There was no nothing really stopping. It went fast, and you know, I, the whole week goes fast. It always goes yeah. fast, and. uh I came here and I wasn't really sure. I mean, how much better could Hamilton do a Grey Cup? And I, I know we knew that it was abbreviated in uh, 2021. There's COVID. There's all sorts of stuff going on. I learned this week the rumbling was is that the league actually took over that Grey Cup in 2021. Um, and this year, the Ticats got to do it their way. The, the organization they did it really, really well. Probably some lessons learned with, uh, you know, travel in between Niagara Falls and Hamilton, especially early in the week with the CFL awards. Now, uh, there was a lot of confusion amongst the bus drivers. It also, and hopefully, they ended up being minor things for people. But uh, actually, my my wife and I we went out to Niagara to go to Shaggy the night of the CFL awards. And pro tip: if you go to a Grey Cup and you want to meet players, hang out around where the awards are that night. <laughs> You're gonna see a lot of players, and man, that is just the coolest thing about. Our league. And yeah, I'm going to call it our league. They had the marketing thing with, uh, you know, this is our league. Not not too long ago. And that's what makes the CFL so special. I walk into Shaggy. It's at the Niagara Falls, Falls View Resort and Casino. Well, a lot of the players that were at the awards were making the same walk that the fans were. So <laughs> Sean Oakman is walking over to the uh, CFL awards. I met him. What a mountain of a man. He makes me look like a normal man. <laughs> yes. Like, I was shocked when I saw that picture. I was like, I, I should yeah. take pictures with Oak more often. <laughs> yeah. It's always nice as a big guy when you see somebody else who's bigger than you and you're like, huh, well, this is what everyone else feels like. <laughs> there is a bigger fish. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that night. And then I ended up uh, being able to shake Braden Lenius's hand, won the Jake Gadauer Award. What a class act. And the, the work he does in the community, I've heard him on the uh, Rough Rider podcast air it out. And the work that he's just an incredible guy and to have him in the CFL and him with the rough riders is amazing. Got to shake his hand and Sean white was, uh, <laughs> he was feeling pretty good after the CFL awards. He, he outwardly wondered what he has to do to win the most outstanding special teams player. He, he figures he may be returning kicks next year so he can get consideration for that. And then walking out, James Butler, Orlando Steinauer, Jameer Thurman, all of the Hamilton Tiger Cats are hanging out in the lobby. Look, I feel like a schmuck kind of interviewing the or interrupting these guys, but everybody's always so gracious and is always so cool. Orlando, he he asked me my name and then he goes, Hey, I'm Orlando. I'm like, Well, I know. <laughs> but where do you get that anywhere else, Sheldon? It's just awesome. Yeah, no, and that's that's why the CFL family is what it is. Like, it's just it it just feels like we are a part of it because they these aren't these million dollar players who are just playing for the money and like these are guys these are just lunch pail guys that come to work and put in their time and all they want to do is you know carve out a legacy for themselves and they're very humble and they're very just. Could tell that, like, I'd say like 90% of the CFL players are just happy to be here, happy to still be able to play football. It's, it's very refreshing. Dean Faithful of the Edmonton Elks, he was here, I guess, on his own dime and he wanted to experience the Grey Cup. And he was actually at the CFL Fans Fight Cancer event. And uh, my wife Taylor wanted a picture with him, and I was the photographer. And I botched the photo. I didn't do the classic, you know, take multiple photos in case there's a blink. Well, <laughs> she blinked. <laughs> and Dean Faithful's driving away in the Lyft or the Uber or whatever. And he rolls down the window to do the wave. And I go, she blinked. <laughs> he asked the driver to stop, gets out of the vehicle to take the picture with her again. And I took three this time and we got a good one. So that is just, you know, what the CFL is all about. And I, I'm, I'm always left just blown away after a Grey Cup festival, talking to the guys from the Grey Cup Society, talking to Trevor, who actually listens to the show in Bermuda. And he was here with two other co-workers that work in Bermuda and are big CFL fans, which I just find remarkable. Three Canadians are working together in Bermuda and still come home for the Grey Cup. And that's what it, that's what it is, man. It, it's just a national and sometimes international celebration. And, and the game is always just the cherry on top, seeing so many great members of the CFL family and, and everything in the week leading up. Uh, Hamilton had a couple blocks of James Street blocked off. And uh, the the convention center, which, look, it's pretty cool. You, you get your day pass and you can hop from party to party to party. And you can bring your beer outside of the party room and on the escalator, which was pretty sweet. Uh, so you can go to the Stamps House, the Lion's Den, 
the Bomber House, Ryderville, the East Social Hall, Tiger Town, all in the Convention Center. Spirit of Edmonton, I actually didn't make it there this year, but uh, from what I've heard, it was all just, again, a great party. The breakfast was great as well. And it's <laughs> Hamilton just put on a great... And I will say this, I, I don't know if it's by design, Sheldon. Maybe it is, where... Maybe some of them they and with and I, I want to get here with you know Green Day playing the halftime show. Maybe there is sort of an effort to start to target that demographic that maybe were teenagers or even not even quite teenagers when the bands like Green Day and all that '90s stuff was coming out, and they wanted to focus on that. I'm the band I saw Saturday at Ryderville, dude. Rage Against the Machine, Beastie Boys. They played Alice in Chains. I Radiohead, STP. I'm still blown away. <laughs> but it just it wasn't the safe choice, you know? We weren't listening to a little ditty about Jack and Diane over and over again. <laughs> and what I, I'm blown away. Maybe it's what the goal was. And when I walk up to the 110th Grey Cup at Tim Hortons Field and uh, Monster Truck is just crushing denim danger, like, yes. <laughs> I don't know. This Grey Cup, it just felt rocket, And it wasn't safe. And it was down and dirty, just like the hammer. And, man, I'm all in. You can tell. I'm all in. I'm all in. It was great, man. <laughs> I don't mean to make you feel bad. I was going to say, you're really like driving that nail in the, <laughs> just the FOMO that I had and sitting, like I was sitting and uh, Tam and I watched the game separately because I was taking notes for this and I didn't want it to seem like I was ignoring her watching the game. So, but then I came up to watch the the halftime show mm. with her and I was sitting there and like, it was awesome. Like they started out with that new single. Uh, and that's a good song. Like I've only heard ask, it a couple times the before. F bomb make TV or not? The F bomb in not the song oh. Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Before they started with the new song, Billy Joe walks to the mic and goes, "This is F in Canada." Uh, I I didn't notice if it did or not. I, maybe I that was could, that. because after that they went. This is the Twisted T halftime show. So oh, maybe yeah. maybe he was told that he could say whatever he wanted before the. Uh, and things started. <laughs> he, he let the other f bomb go in holiday, though. Like they that it went through. Um, uh, but um, I was just sitting there, and like Tam was rocking out, I was rocking out, and I just like I got sad. I was like, I'm missing this, and I just got like kind of pissed off with what we got at the Grey Cup last year, and like just by all accounts, every single freaking video and picture that you sent me, just. <laughs> Made me like so happy that you got to have the week that you had. But I just, man, I'm, I'm not missing another Grey Cup. Let's just put that out there. I'm not missing another Grey Cup because just seeing what you guys did, what everyone did, the CFL fight, your fans fight cancer events, you know, beating the total from last year. Like it's just, oh, I know. The, we'll talk about that. Yeah. The, the CFL is back. The, the CFL fans are back. The the game is unreal. That like, I don't think you could find another season. At least I can't. Where like eighty percent of the games were like close games, and there was 
there was upsets, there was there was dominant teams that got then defeated soundly in the playoff. Like it's just what a great year and the league just needs to take this and grow on it and and I cannot wait for Grey Cup next year in BC. I know when things are fresh, we we think, hey, you know, that's top three, top five Grey Cup of all time, and then the festival and everything like that. But I truly, I think in my heart that this has kicked off a new era in just amazing Grey Cup festivals because I actually felt like the era from about, I don't know, 2010 to you know, 11 and 12. So Edmonton and uh, Vancouver and the hundredth in Toronto were just incredible And 13 and then 15 in Winnipeg. And then I 16 in Toronto, I, I think. And Ottawa had a good one too. But Everyone things, did. Yeah. Things <laughs> kind of started to, you know, I, I think slow down a little bit for people descending on the gray cup, but this one, I don't know. It felt special. And I know with the things going on in Vancouver with Amar Doman and uh, the ownership and the energy there, I, I feel like BC is going to be special too. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that. And look, we talk about, we'll just do it quickly. Uh, Dinwiddie named the coach of the year. Javon Leak, the special teams player. Quantez Stiggers, the rookie. Dejon Allen, outstanding lineman of the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, Matthew Betts, the most outstanding defensive player. Brady Oliveira wins the Canadian. And Chad Kelly, the MOP. The George Reed MOP. What a very cool, cool, amazing touch and uh, maybe we could start naming all of these trophies you know hockey does it uh about the legends of the game and i thought that was an amazing touch and yeah kelly had a great speech i I thought he had a really good speech and there was some interesting news where he said that maybe he got concussed in the east final but and it makes sense (laughs) yeah it does I, i think i think maybe it's just overall tough for the running back to beat the quarterback yeah. but yeah. uh yeah uh we can fight till the cows come home about that award but uh a good i think a great speech uh he sounded classy doing it and i, I think another thing it, it's important and cool that an argonaut got it and things are bright there and uh <laughs> things are bright for the league overall so that was a that was a great night I think the CFL awards and we'll bring up CFL fans fight cancer. The work that the people in the hammer and Toronto and elsewhere around Canada put into this thing, the prizes that they secured, the money that was raised. And this is grassroots. This is just CFL fans. And I'm, I don't know how big they can take this thing, but it's like, it's almost like outgrown what it was. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> these bars that host the, the poor waitresses <laughs> just pouring sweat. Uh, it's shout out to the end zone bar and grill in, uh, in Hamilton and shout out to Adam who hosted the event. And I know he secured a lot of things. It was Jason Pottinger, a great cup champion with the Argos brought the great cup by for a bit. The Ryder Pep Band. There was a pipe band. There, I'm serious. Like, what an amazing 
amazing event. And like you said, over $35,000 raised. And I, I'm proud to be a p- small part of it. I didn't know this was happening. I walk into the bar. I'm sitting down. And they say, we got Timbits. Uh, what? Peter Diakowski's there. Two and out live, the virtual edition. Three years in the making. Peter. <laughs> Me? No. Peter, he no. cheated. <laughs> Stand by that. So, Wally Walker, a great CFL fan, great Hamiltonian, should be a mayor in this city. By the way, shout out to the city of Hamilton for getting the transit stuff figured out at like 4 in the morning on Thursday, <laughs> which okay. made everything a lot more smoother. It, his wife, Eleanor, went to Tim Hortons and actually tipped them to <laughs> make sure every box is identical. Every, and Peter Diakowski, he's claiming that it wasn't identical. He thinks that he got more of the plane and I got more of the glazed and all this. So <laughs> I crushed him like a grape. Like, there is no way to be, you know, humble about it. <laughs> I beat him by maybe two Timbits, but apparently I've gotten better in the past three years. I thought I was starting to lose it a little bit. He was a little too close to be in the virtual edition. And Daniela Ponticelli, you know, she was great. Sideline reporter, radio host in Regina. She was my hype. And she's, and what I mean, I, I was going three Timbits at a time and breaking them down with water and getting them down that way. Joey Chestnut. I love it. <laughs> I put the last three in and she's like, you're good. You're good. And Diakowski had seven left in his box. The champ is That's here. <laughs> and guess what I won? Ooh. A dozen sluice juice cupcakes. <laughs> That's going to be like a box of Timbits. <laughs> Loose juice cupcakes. That sounds delicious. Th- oh, they were incredible. I Taylor had, or I had one and a half. Taylor, not a drinker. She loved them too. So we might have to make the custom order for the Sluice juice cupcakes in 2024. Janelle does incredible work there. Th- that just goes to show, you know, how awesome this Grey Cup week was. And now that I see the... Uh, U Sports notes you made. The UBC Thunderbirds ended up winning over St. FX and Montreal Caravan demolishing Western. How often can we say that? 29 to 3. Uh, yeah. Sue's a great member of the CFL family, big fan of Queens. Man, she was celebrating that <laughs> loss by Western hard. And I ran into Sarah said at the convention center Saturday night. She introduced herself because she was covering U Sports and uh, she got to enjoy some of her face great cup, first great cup uh, uh, festivities. Ever so, we talked a little bit about U Sports and Nick Kowalski with the BC Lions was with her too. Man, I, I don't want a name drop, but I got a name drop. Shell, <laughs> it was just a great time in the Hammer, and we get to the game. And I don't know about you. Sometimes I worry. I, I know you were at home, so you're kind of fomoing a little bit. And I just 
sometimes I want the game to live up to the people at home to be like, you know, hopefully it's just as good as the rest of the week was. And it turned out to be just as good as the rest of the week was. But Sheldon, those bombers, <laughs> they're getting off to a 10 nothing start. But before that, Adam Big Hill, Dalton Schoen are active, which really I, surprised me. And I heard from other me. Bomber fans, they didn't even see him out there during warm-up. I, no word of a lie. So I, I'm sitting there right before the game, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to do the notes so that Travis doesn't have to. And I just put in there, Big Hill and Show not playing. No surprise. I just, I wrote it. And then I was looking in our group chat, and Neely is like, they're both activated. I was like, what? <laughs> like, okay. And then you see, you could even see when, when they did the coin toss, Big yeah. Hill was out there. He was walking, don't you title this gingerly <laughs> again. He was walking very gingerly back. Like, you could tell. And I was just like, man. And then I was actually te- I was texting with Coach Phil at that time, and I was like, Cody needs to go after Big Hill. If Big Hill's mm-hmm. in there, he needs to test him. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so amazing, and and even shown he he didn't look like he like he didn't miss a beat. Like he first series, he had a good catch there to get a second down conversion, and so uh, you know it's. I was making a joke, like I was wondering if they just activated them so that they could get their names on the cup. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know, man. It's just it's it, it's people. It's their drive. You can just tell that they they want to be out there. And we hear all these stories of players playing with broken bones or torn ligaments, and you just get shot up, so you you pay for it later, so you can play the game. So mm-hmm. I'm glad for them. They got to be out there and lay it out on the line. Bombers were moving the ball early uh, with Oliveira. Uh, yeah, you're right. They hit Dalton Schoen on the second down conversion. Uh, early on, they, they start with a 3 nothing lead, but the Owls go 2-0. and out, And we thought the key in this game would be Cody's just got to step up. And uh, the Owls offense needs, needs to make more plays than they've made in actually quite a while. Like <laughs> Beating Toronto was all on the defense. Uh, that's what it was. And uh, Cody and the offense were going to have to play exceptional, but it took them a little while to get going because, you know, the Owls end up taking a penalty call that was called unnecessary roughness on second down on the next drive. Winnipeg would have probably settled for a field goal there. What was that call, Sheldon? Like, there was no face masking in it. Like, there was people online that were saying that there was a face mask at the end, like when he's down the turf. I kind of wondered, but... But they didn't call it face mask. No, so if they no. saw a face mask, they would call it that. No, I th- I think the ref just thought that that uh, there was a forearm or something to Zach's head. But Zach was ducking down. Yeah. Okay. And the forearm hit his shoulder pads. It didn't. There was no head contact. He was not sliding. Terrible call. It, it, like I just wrote weak in there, but it was terrible. Like, and, and it's not the only call that was either missed or called in that shouldn't have been called. Like, there was two other big ones that were missed, maybe even three actually. There was the, the goal line stand that the, that the bombers had 
they had a player in the new in the neutral zone with his helmet was in the neutral zone, and the league rule says that the only only the center and receivers can have any part of their body ahead of mm. the line of their line of scrimmage. So that should have been a penalty and a fresh set of downs for the Owls there. On the on an Owls touchdown, it looked like the receiver was offside, and on that amazing catch by uh, Austin Mack, a one-handed catch. The Palmer defender was holding his other arm. Yeah, it, and like no no harm, no foul because the catch yeah, stood. Yeah. But still, it's like this is supposed to be the best crew of the whole year calling these games, and it's just I'm I'm glad that a call didn't come down to decide the game at the end. Like glad that didn't happen, but it's just they have an eye in the sky for a reason. Winnipeg or Montreal, sorry, they actually overcame a lot, and yep. not just officiating. They made mistakes. They uh, and, and early, like in the first half, Winnipeg took advantage of those mistakes. Um, but when Montreal's trailing ten nothing, what a crucial drive they had! Uh, Austin Mack came to play. Uh, what a rookie season, and. I am starting to wonder, like, why wasn't he uh, up there for rookie of the year? And, like, I mean, I, Stubblefield had a great year, too. I, he was Montreal's nominee, I, I know. Uh, Quantez Stiggers had a great year for Toronto, too. But Austin Mack, the way he has capped off this season was incredible. And then that big Willie Standback rumble, 32 yards to the house, uh, 10-7. The Alouettes are in this game and then the owls go to, or bombers go two and out and then adam big kills down on the field uh was it he ended up coming out again a little bit after yeah. that uh was he just trying to stretch out the calf is that what the issue was yeah like on tv it looked like he got a cramp that's all yeah, it looked like yeah. at first but then it it, it, it it he must not have been able to get it loose because it it was almost a quarter before he went back in. Yeah, it was. It was. And I, I kind of wonder if that ended up being a big, big issue in the second half uh, for the Bombers without having Adam Big Hill in there. And that, and that is almost, <laughs> that's the detriment. You, you want your guys in there that got you to the dance. But if they're not going to be able to stay on the field, with the roster sizes the way they are, that's the risk you take. And look, no excuses for the Bombers. Almost their entire receiving core was hurt. Uh, Dembski wasn't 100%. Dalton Schoens certainly wasn't 100%. And Bailey wasn't 100% either. Those three guys are X factors in that Winnipeg receiving core. But then we started seeing troubles here with Montreal's punting game. And... The fact that they were able to overcome this was actually quite remarkable. Joseph Seema, solid year for him. He had a 31-yard average <laughs> throughout the game and took a couple penalties, a couple illegal kicks, right? The uh, the Bombers were working with decent field position a lot of the night because of this, Sheldon. Yeah, actually both teams, other than a couple... They both had like a, a turnover where they they got the ball deep in their own zone, but for the most part, both teams special teams were giving good returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, their field position was 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 there for both teams. Uh, 
but yeah, it's it's rough when you get two <laughs> two illegal punts. Because, and, and, and again, that just shows how good Montreal's defense played. Because as you said in the first half, the Bombers were able to move the ball; they were able to complete passes. But then the 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 Alouette's defense just they just stood their ground. And other than that stupid penalty call, it should have only been a field goal for that. So yeah, they they just my hat goes off to them. A huge shout out to actually, I guess the entire front for the Montreal Alouettes. And I really think that they gave Winnipeg a lot of trouble. They forced Stanley Bryant to take a procedure in the second half. They forced the Bombers to take a holding call in the second half. There were some issues that they were causing the Bombers to have. And uh, they ended up with four sacks on the night. Mustafa Johnson had a great game. Uh, Lawal Yugawak five tackles for the rookie and what a hit on Brady Oliveira. That's football. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Sean Lemon, Darnell Sankey get a sack. Reggie Stubblefield gets a sack as well. There was a sequence in the uh, um, second half where there were a couple big hits that the Owls yeah. laid. On right defense. after. One of them, yeah. And you knew that they were feeling it and the momentum did actually carry on to the uh the offense as well teams never really like especially Winnipeg they never really I know they were up 10 nothing but he never felt that they got the elusive momentum but Montreal did obviously late in the yeah. second half yeah and and you talk about all the, all the studs on Montreal Cadian Ento he had a monster game he had a he had a pick he had a couple big knockdowns he had a uh, force fumble. Like, he was all over the place. And props to him because he's had a couple tough games this year, but he yeah. showed up and showed out when it mattered the most. Uh, back in the first half, <laughs> and Zach got sacked. And th- that second and long, when uh, Caleros rolls out and hits the king, and I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> the king. Like, you can't even be mad. And then Brady Oliveira, a huge gain, KB and Ento with the forced fumble. But Montreal couldn't take advantage of those turnovers in the first half. The difference was is that Winnipeg did. When, when Montreal turned it over or they took a penalty, Winnipeg actually made them pay uh, early on in the game. Uh, and it, what's happened with James Letcher Jr., who's only played for about six games, in the first half, tries to do too much. Yeah, he probably should have just field that punt and went down. But what a crucial, I thought, mistake, not only by Letcher uh, and then fumbling, but challenging the no yards at that point of the game. I didn't think that was a smart move, man. Yeah, that was like a deep concession. It didn't <laughs> seem... Like it was close. Like you could tell, like on on TV, it was close. But from that perspective, you don't know where the five yard halo is. It's it's the same as on uh, uh, Standback's touchdown when he was diving into the end zone. There, you just could because the ref was right in front. You couldn't see when the knee was down as mm. opposed to where the ball crossed the line. So 
in a Grey Cup game, and and I know it was a huge play. So obviously the month your your emotions are high at that point, and and you think you you have a shot at overturning that because that momentum could have. That's that's what Winnipeg does when they put teams down, and so I understand him challenging it, but it he he had other plays later in the game that he could have challenged and he wasn't yeah. able to. So. Uh, it's always tough to lose your challenge in the first half. So Winnipeg ends up keeping the ball after the fumble uh, from James Letcher Jr. And they get the touchdown with Dakota Prukop on the touchdown sneak. It's 17-7 Winnipeg at that point. If Winnipeg wins this game, Sheldon, was it possible that number 12 Dakota Prukop was going to be the MVP of the Grey Cup? Well, I was... I was thinking it because like remember he got two touchdowns last year too and so um zach didn't have a good game he zero touchdowns one interception 200 yards so and, and Oliveira didn't get any touchdown i didn't think buck so, pierce had his best game tonight he didn't and i was one not like i'm wondering if it, his head is in the the head coaching uh I don't know. Like Thorpe he, and the, the Owls were giving him some crazy looks. They were, yeah, they <laughs> were. Maybe but, that's what happened. It, yeah, because it's just you, you expect Winnipeg defense to have a, a better play call. I completely agree with you. But Montreal, yeah, they were just showing crazy looks. And at the end of the first half. And I thought that this was going to be the deciding drive. And it's another thing that the Alouettes overcome. Because uh, it's one of those things with the Bombers. You don't want to give them, you know, the ball with 48 seconds to go in the half. Because then they can and have, you know, made teams pay and gotten some late points going into the half. But the Owls, they ate time off the clock. And they got right down to the three-yard line. They give the ball to stand back on first down, right? And then out comes Almondo Sewell and Caleb Evans. And they try the same play, basically, two plays in a row. No doubt about it. Stuffed on the goal line. Three plays in. Credit to the Bombers for that. That is was an incredible stand. Oh, it was an incredible stand, but it shouldn't count it. <laughs> the helmet was in the in the way. Like it clear as day. I don't know how either linesman didn't throw the flag because like I know it probably didn't affect the play at all, but like when you have your helmet in there, that's that's you know, six inches or eight inches less of a space between you and that other person, right? So yep. it's by letter of law, it should have been called a penalty, and and the league has come down and they've they've called a penalty, they've called an offside, or they fixed an offside if they didn't think that if like the it was a procedure call, but the the defense got in there first, so they've that precedence is set, and it went to an automatic review, so you're actually reviewing whether the ball crossed the line, and you're looking at the helmet there. How do you not say, ah, well, he didn't get in, but <laughs> that's a penalty. First down. Like, that's, that's the rules. So, 
again, it didn't affect the game. It didn't actually. So, but just imagine that momentum going in, scoring a touchdown. Yeah. Then what? Then what they they did coming out of the with the, the ball the there. Yeah. I, I wonder. We've seen times where Jason Moss gets a little kick happy, and yeah. I wonder if Winnipeg was getting the ball if they would have taken the points. I, I, I I'm bet glad you they would have went for yeah. it, but because well, like there's yeah. there's a lot of people Monday or like fantasy looking it after saying, oh, you should have kicked the field. Tyrell said like right when it was happening, you take the points here. So, but if he took the points, then the other half of people would say, ah, you should have went. For I it. know, oh for sure, yeah, it's yeah, you can't make the right choice there, and and good thing it they ended up winning, so it doesn't matter, uh, but. Yeah, it was. That's deflating, and and that just shows you the team that they have there for them to yeah. be able to go into the yeah. room deflated like that, and they're like, "Nope, we're we're gonna win this game. Keep your heads mm-hmm. up. We got the ball. We're gonna go score." And that's exactly what they did. And then we get halftime, and I to answer your question on the sheet, I thought Green Day sounded great uh, for a halftime show and being in a stadium like that. I would have preferred it a bit louder. <laughs> But it sounded great. I I actually don't think that I've ever been at a Grey Cup halftime show where about three or four people in our section start sparking up. But uh, (laughs) that's Canada, baby, I guess. (laughs) And that's punk rock. Uh, But no, I thought they they sounded great. Uh, Billy Joe Armstrong with the blonde do. I guess he he looks like he's about 13 years old still. And... (laughs) and the pyro and everything. I thought it was good, man. You, you were loving it. Oh yeah, it, it came across on TV really awesome. Like, sound was awesome. The, the songs, like, I Tam Tam was pretty happy that she picked two out of the four songs, right? And so that was good for her. But like, we both didn't even think about Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Mm. We both loved that song, but we just didn't think that that would be one that he played. But it was awesome. And, I'm actually yeah. shocked they didn't do uh, Good Riddance. At the end, anyway. Yeah, good riddance. Like I, uh, they got like, a lot of cho- choose from. Welcome actually. to paradise. Like yeah. things long. Like there's so many, and I yeah. just want to go see Green Which their tour is not coming anywhere close to here. But their tour coming up next year is amazing. Them rancid, smashing pumpkins. Wow. Somebody else, and it's a football school. Wow. Yeah, good on the CFL for putting on that halftime show and uh it you looks beat like it next year yeah that's it vancouver hey indoors there's a, there's gonna be a lot of people saying hey i don't have to freeze my fingers or whatever yeah, yeah. Let's get, <laughs> it, that... get in on this get taylor there let's go <laughs> that that tim hortons field the uh, wind gets a bit uh gets a bit chilly man november 19th the birthday boy jason moss coaching his team to uh, a victory, but we'll start in the second half for the Montreal Alouettes. Start with that catch you brought up by Austin Mack. He did kind of create some distance with his arm to start it, but hey, a great battle. I'm glad that a flag didn't go either way, and he made the catch, and and you're right. <laughs> like, if they didn't throw the flag, it was probably something that Moss would have then thrown his challenge flag on but of course he made the catch and Cole Speaker makes the touchdown catch and the Bombers 
now only have a three-point lead, 17-14. But then Winnipeg starts driving the ball themselves. They're pounding the ball. They're playing bomber football. And then Zach Kolaris looking for the king in the corner of the end zone. And KB and Hento has an interception in the end zone. Alouette's ball. Another moment where the Bombers could have just (laughs) put the dagger in or at least made it a lot more difficult for the Alouettes to get into this game. But, man, uh, teams are kind of testing each other, at least until the fourth quarter. This game just flew by. Uh, Montreal starting to get into rhythm. Uh, Janarian Grant lets the ball by that. This was critical. Like I'm thinking, are we going to have another Rouge situation? (laughs) Like the last Hamilton great cup, but uh, Winnipeg ends up having to take over deep in their own zone. But of course, Winnipeg, they, they get out of that hole, you know, starting on their five yard line. And then the clock starts to become the enemy for, um, the Alouettes, but this is where the Alouette defensive line was starting to give that old line for the Bombers some trouble. They weren't wearing down. And how many times did the Bombers wear down teams this year where in the second half it was Brady time? And I thought that Winnipeg kind of got away from it a little bit. They were giving the ball to Dembski, and I was talking to some other Bomber fans, and Dembski's not 100%. Like, Brady's your guy. <laughs> like, give him the ball. Like, it, it should have been Oliveira, Oliveira, Prukop. Oliveira, Oliveira, Prukop. They could have done that all fourth quarter and won this game. But but they didn't. And uh, Montreal stood tall. So credit to them, man. Yeah, and it's just, it, it might have just been another coach who just got in his own head and thought that, oh, they think we're going to pound Oliveira, so we're going to do something different and think that it's going to work. But you gotta go with you gotta dance with the girl you take to the dance. Like that's <laughs> that's the guy. That's the guy that would have right won that championship. More adversity for the Montreal Alouettes as Cody Fajardo ends up uh, throwing an interception on the next one. It was one of those where it was almost like a punt because it was pretty yeah. deep in. Uh, in Winnipeg's end where they took over the ball, but Evan Holm, a great defender in his own right, makes a great play on the ball. And uh, uh, Winnipeg comes down with it. And then the Bombers, they don't, they don't turn it into anything. Reggie Stubblefield gets the sack. Tyson Philpott, he takes over on return duties. Did they say on the broadcast if Letcher was hurt, or did they sit him down for the fumble? I remember them saying either way. Uh, I think they just they just said that Bill Ball was in there, but I, I don't know. That seemed to be a crucial move. Yep. Uh, Phil Pot. <laughs> that's <laughs> when that's when he took over because yeah. we were. We it were was... talking in the group chat. We were like, who who even wins most outside in Canadian if Montreal wins? And we we're like, I guess maybe still Oliver won. But mm-hmm. this is like yeah, this is when Tyson Copot won that award with this drive. Yep. Uh he makes the big return and then is like, Whoa, here we go. Uh Mac gets the touchdown. 
Al's lead, 21-17, but there's seven minutes left. We've been here before with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. <laughs> That's what they did, Sheldon. They take the lead. Dakota Prukop, by the what was it from like the four-yard line with a sneak, gets into the end zone again. Bombers leading 24-21. I, I'm thinking, yeah, Prukop, Grey Cup MVP. They're going to be scrambling, <laughs> trying to find a way to give it to somebody else. And then the Bomber defense stands tall, a shanked punt from Joseph Zima again. Bomber ball, 312 left. And man, all the Bombers needed was one more first down. They get two yards, three-minute warning, they come out. Zach gets sacked. And I don't necessarily think that maybe they should have ran the ball on that second and long, but I'm not sure if that was the strongest play call. And credit to the Alouettes for getting the stop on that play. Obviously, 156 on the clock. Cody Fajardo gets the ball. It's your time to make your money, Cody. (laughs) It's your time to prove everybody wrong. Jason Moss to prove everybody wrong. The adversity they've faced from the beginning of this uh, season up until now. Nobody believed they could win, but they did. And that's all that matters. First and 10 for midfield. Cody gets sacked. If you would have told me that the Alouettes are going to be, you know, second and 18 with a minute left in the Grey Cup, and they're going to finish that drive with a touchdown and not a field goal just to send this to overtime? I would have called you crazy. Cody didn't run all game, but the the run he had was just incredible timing. He takes a 13-yard run. It's third and five, Alouettes. And what a play call, man. And we've seen it before. We... Jason Moss, the Miz, with those gigantic <laughs> balls for calling that play call. Like, my hat is off to that man. Like, I would never call that play. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm doing like an option to stand back or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I. But the smart play call, because you know that Winnipeg's going to give you pressure and you're probably going to have man coverage out there. And wow. Wow. That's all you can say. Ends up behind Diedrich Nichols, the completion, and Cody overthrew a few deep balls in the game. But the one that he connected with, obviously, is the one that mattered the very next play. Tyson Philpot with the touchdown. Al's lead 28-24 with 18 seconds left. So from second and 18, three plays later, it's in the end zone. The Alouettes take the lead and win the Grey Cup. The Bombers get the ball back, two completions. And Cody Fajardo is your Grey Cup MVP. Tyson Philpot is the most outstanding Canadian in the Grey Cup game, the Montreal Alouettes are the champions of the 110th Grey Cup 
combined, the Bombers and the Owls have played in 50 Grey Cup games, but never against each other. And here it is. They are finally uh, champs for the first time since 2010. (laughs) And from ninth in the power rankings in June to one in November. What a game that was, Sheldon. Shout out to Matt Dunnigan. Because he called this Grey Cup matchup at the beginning of the year. He he, he, He did? He picked Winnipeg Winnipeg to win, but he called this Grey Cup matchup. Wow. Shout out to Davis Sanchez, who said that the Riders were going to (laughs) win. But I don't know if you saw this in 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 the stadium. Davis Sanchez pulled a Lee Corso and put on the... Put on the Alouette mascot head. He's Did the he? only one who the only one who chose the Owls. Wow, his yeah. old team, his old stomping grounds. Zach Kolaris only had four incompletions, nineteen of twenty-three, two hundred and thirty-six yards. But one of those incompletions was a uh, interception to KB and Ento. Brady Oliveira did have one hundred nineteen yards. He did have over six yards of carry. And a touchdown, 19 carries. He probably could have had 300 yards if they would have just fed him the ball. (laughs) Nick Dembski had eight catches for 74 yards. And Kenny the King Lawler, three catches for 77 yards. And he also gets the award for the quote of Grey Cup Week. When asked... If you have any advice for any CFL player going into free agency, his answer was, yeah, don't go to Edmonton. (laughs) He's not the only one who said that. Eric Dennis. (laughs) Oh, what a call. What a call. Cody Fajardo goes 21 to 26, 290 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Big Willie Stanback, nine carries, 68 yards, and a touchdown. Come on, man. <laughs> Tyson Philpot, six catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown. He also added uh, 49 yards on three punt returns and one kickoff return for 14 yards Cole Speaker 62 yards and a touchdown Austin Mack 103 yards and a touchdown and Tyler Sneed four catches for 51 yards there was a moment in the game where he got smashed by Brandon Alexander but then there was another moment in the game where Brandon Alexander didn't wrap up and he bounced right off of him, number 85. So, yeah, there were plays made all over the field. The leading tackler for the Alouettes was Tyrese Beverett with uh, seven tackles, one on special teams. Wesley Sutton had six tackles. We talked about the guys who got the sacks. For the Bombers, the leading tackler was Evan Holm. He had seven tackles of himself. Shane Gauthier, he had a good game coming in. Uh, Five tackles. He had a sack as well. And Willie Jefferson had himself a sack. A pretty big one on uh, Cody Fajardo. But they were able to overcome. And here they are, champions 
the Montreal Alouettes. I didn't think I would say that at the beginning of the year, but here we are, Sheldon. Here we are. What an incredible end to an incredible season. I uh, (laughs) had so much fun this week, and I'm always so, so happy when the game just turns out the way it does. Uh, I I couldn't be more over the moon, and the fact that I can talk and I'm not struggling through this just makes it even better, Sheldon. So I appreciate you being here, staying up late as uh, I'm in my hotel room in Hamilton as I fly out of Pearson in Toronto tomorrow. Thanks, man. You got anything else to say? I, you're on uh, mute now, I think. Oh, you're back now. Oh, no, I'm back. <laughs> uh, no, like, like, I just echo everything you said. Like, this was an amazing year. It seemed capped off by an amazing Grey Cup festival. So it props to everyone who, who did the planning in Hamilton there. And BC, you're up. Because I think uh, not only for the CFL fans fight cancer, because uh, I don't think anyone thought that the number last year here in Saskatchewan, and it was twenty five thousand. I don't yeah. think anyone thought that was going to get touched, and this was another ten thousand dollars. So, BC, it starts now. Let's start planning some stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. get, let's get there. And and I just, you know, having I'm going to check my fifty fifty here. I might be rich. I might not be coming home for a second tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm happy we have a place to stay next year. So uh, we'll definitely be there and. I just, it's bittersweet because I always hate the end of the year. I know. Because uh, I just, I love this game so much, but it's, it's different for us, especially like it's, it's going to be an off season of change because it didn't yeah. go the way that our team wanted it to. And I don't even see what's going to happen there. And we'll see if there's any other dominoes to fall with the uh, teams not making it. And, there's a lot to figure have, out, man. Free agency is crazy now with every team having 20 or 30 free agents. So yeah, uh, we'll see. The Riders got to get a coach in there so they can decide what they're going to do with any because they might have left over in the cap. All the teams, they got to figure it out now. And next season starts tomorrow. So yeah, we'll see where um, coaching changes will happen. Who gets hired? Where will things change for the Bombers in the offseason? And how much will they change? I uh, was walking out of the stadium. And walking right by me to the bus was the great, and I think we can call him that, the great Stanley Bryant. Did he play his last game in the Canadian Football League? Like, he didn't stick around long. I don't know if the guy even had a time to shower. And he's just like, I'm out. And it's it, tough to blame them. Um, the Bombers host a Grey Cup in two years. What's this core going to be like in two years? And I actually talked to Neely, our good friend from Winnipeg. He said, you know what? The Bombers are just like, and no offense to Calgary fans, just those Stampeders. Like this was an opportunity to cement that dynasty, that legacy. And uh, they have really become Calgary a little bit, but they did win two straight. Uh, Calgary did not pull that feat off. So respect to the Bombers and the organization and the consistency and for getting there again. 
will they be here again in Vancouver in 2011? I... It's hard not to see that it will be a rematch of uh, the West Final again with the Lions fighting to play at home in a home Grey Cup. But will will the Elks look like with a full season at Trey Ford? What do the Rough Riders look like? What do the Stamps look like? They were a young team this year. And then out of the East, <laughs> I feel like, you remember, just the way the Argos were, they didn't dominate last year in 2022 as much as they did this year do the owls pick up where they left off in 2024 can the owls get by the argos and host oh there's a lot and there's going to be coaching changes we'll give you a few more episodes uh, before the end of the year and the vanier cup is coming up on saturday i think maybe we'll do a preview show on uh, wednesday to get you ready for the u sports championship and that will be all on its own and having a stage of its own this coming weekend. Thanks for listening to Two and Out this season. Thanks for listening to our Great Cup recap. I'm Travis Curra. He is Sheldon Jones. Safe travels back to wherever you are. And I guess have some pickle juice to nurse that Great Cup hangover. <laughs> but for me, it's a long football hangover that lasts until May, man. We'll get through it together on to and out. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.